Singapore, March 4th, 2024. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 818. How often do you think about the Tokugawa shogunate? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We are never happier than when we are uh, sitting around together talking, when, when, when we are plotting our, uh, our you know, internecine warfare, when, when in our feudal system we, we go to battle against, uh, against one another. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. Uh, I am the, you know, the first, the, the keeper of the castle here. And, uh, I'm here joined by Lord Pete Fenzel. Pete, I, I'm sorry. We've, uh, decided to, uh, discommodate you or no, to, to, uh, to like remove your investiture and, uh, you'll be killed shortly thereafter. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Pete. Oh, thank you. I detect no insult from you in anything that you've said. And I very much appreciate your <laughs> candid hospitality in this matter. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and uh we are also joined by by mark lee mark uh welcome welcome uh welcome to the podcast you do me great honor by uh stepping under under my roof i feel like i'm being taken hostage actually so um, let's roll with it let's uh let's uh, totally do a cosplay of not being a hostage while while you're a hostage <laughs> Um, we're, uh, we're talking this week about Shogun, the, uh, Hulu. Not to be confused with Showgirls, but Shogun. No. Yes, to be confused with Showgirls. Please confuse this with Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a delight for all concerned, definitely. Especially for Elizabeth Berkeley, who would really have the joint classed up. Uh, she'd probably really appreciate it. So Shogun is an NC-17 rated, uh, you know, epic about a, a warfare among the casino tycoons in Las Vegas. And yes. they all, they go to one another, ho- one another's hotels as, uh, you know, as guests, but actually as hostages. And, uh, you know, the MGM Grand Organization, uh, goes to war against, uh, Caesars. Goes to war against yeah. Steve Wynn's organization. Uh, you know, goes yeah. to war. This is against- this is the this is the plot of Fallout New Vegas, by the way. If you've ever played, <laughs> which is a great game. Totally uh, great. No, Shogun is a. Uh, I guess I don't know how many episodes. Ten episodes, maybe, in this first season. Uh, an adaptation of the novel by James Clavell. Clavell. Uh, Clavell. Um, that is a a great big honking doorstop of a historical novel about feudal Japan, circa what sixteen hundred. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, the the uh, the prestige, you know, extraordinarily pricey um, adaptation with like very good uh, Japanese native Japanese acting talent. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, the Portuguese played by, by just anyone, just absolutely. Not uh, anyone, the guy from Suddenly Susan, and he's awesome. Well, he's the Spaniard. He's the Spaniard. The Spaniard. Um, so yeah, exactly. The, the, uh, it's interesting, but, but, um, told, uh, done or at least shot, you know, with the, the Japanese actors speaking, Japanese and uh, the uh, actors portraying Portuguese and Spaniards speaking English because that's uh, that's how you do it. Um, that's uh, you know that is uh, on Hulu and kind of uh, dropping. Anyway, we saw what what did we see? Like an advertisement at the Super Bowl, and we were like, "That looks good. Let's watch that." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and here we are. Uh, and turns out it's awesome. Like uh, spoil T- TLDR. Like I I haven't read the novel uh but the the adaptation after two two episodes is awesome now brief digression guys if you'll come with me into the novel uh which i haven't read but it was a book that grown-ups had when i was growing up mm-hmm. right yeah. and it was like a book that you know what that and sort of the pillars of the earth by by ken follett or follett clavel 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 follett follett um, the pillars of the earth. No, another- nobody knows how to pronounce white men's names, Matt. It's okay. 
They all they all sound the same to me. Yeah. They all I can't tell the difference between any of these white men novelists. They all <laughs> sound the same. They all look the same. Um, their culture is indistinguishable, and the nuances of their of the games they play are opaque to me. Uh, the um, yeah, the and these two books were like books that you know I don't know grownups had that like big big thick book big big thick like trade paper in no, a trade paperback mass market paperback books of you know thousand plus pages that uh, that grownups had and that you know it's it's something like I I always I have a weird relationship with you know works of literature of that scale because that I always like liked them. I always felt sort of drawn to them in in some way because it seemed like they contained a universe. You know, and I like I like that. Like I like that sort of comprehensive aspect of um of works of fiction, the way they can kind of enfold you in a world. And yet I really don't have the attention span to, you know, it is astonishing to me that I have read all of Harry Potter or uh all of a Song of Ice and Fire, at least the the currently extant volumes of of A Song of Ice and Fire. I just feel like I don't have the uh, attention span. I, I'm guessing that neither of you have read the novel, right? Mark, have you have you uh, dipped into James Clavell's uh, Shogun? I haven't. And speaking of very long books, I've read everything that Robert Caro has written, except for the very short book, ironically. But um... I, I too am no stranger. I'm not too drawn to the big books, and I too also do not have the attention span to tackle anything like this I anymore. Like, I like, you know, thinking of you like with the power broker on your shelf, and then all the volumes of LBJ, and then uh, getting to what is the short the the getting to the short little book and being like, what is this trash? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> what is this monograph and throwing insufficiently it insufficiently epic? Yeah, exactly. You will not read. Throwing it from your 300 story, you know, New York uh, apartment building, you know, as it flutters, flutters to the ground, um, the, the leaves of the page, you know, turning as it uh, goes across Upper Broadway. Um, Pete, no, no Shogun for you either, I'm guessing. No, no. My dad had it on his nightstand for a while. I just I remember it being one of those books where the cover was in relief, where there were sort of like bubbles. Yeah. Right. In the shapes of the letters. Yes. Uh, and this is, this is before novels made the big transition to trade paperback back when it was mass market paperback for yes. stuff like this. And uh, and I just remember the sort of gold of it and the puffiness of it yeah. as being two sort of markers of quality of a of a of a type and era that for, on some level I knew would not be mine. Yeah. Like I would not look at a book like 15 years thence and be like, ah, oh, but it isn't gold and shiny on the front. Right. Or it doesn't have like letters that are puffy. How can I respect it? It does. Right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, Pete, I think that you located perfectly like it being on a dad's nightstand is the perfect area. Right. Because it's like, I feel like a parent's nightstand is, it is like an off limits place, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, it, 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 it a, uh, adult, it connotes adulthood for me. It connotes like, um, the kind of the mysteries of adulthood and kind of like putting this, putting w- these very thick, uh, mass market paperback books into like, uh, putting them under the, the, the sign of the mysteries of adulthood seems, seems appropriate. And yes, it was a, it was a beautiful, uh, it was a beautiful sort of object as well, or at least an intriguing sort of object with its, its puffy letters embossed in the, in the yeah. thin, thin cardboard of the cover. <laughs> Before we uh, turn our attention to the show itself, we can just kind of sketch out some more of the cultural context of the book coming out, right? Of 1975. Um, is it fair to say that uh, America was um, having a certain moment with Japan, right? Um, a, a mixture of fascination and fear, and also just straight up xenophobia as well. I, uh, I mean, or, maybe, was that kind of more and more of the 80s? I, maybe, I mean, I, I, from what from what I'm looking at. I mean, first of all, my dad was reading in the 80s, not in 1975. I wasn't alive in 1975. Um, but I think that Shogun is kind of credited with kicking that moment off. Oh. That like that like Shogun is like the first really big exposure. Because remember, there were like very, very – I mean, you know this as much as anyone, Mark. There were very, very few Asian Americans just in existence in 1975 because immigration had been straight up banned, right, for like 100 yep. years Right. And so like and, and it's it was banned the other way, too. Right. So like uh, at least with Japan for hundreds of years. 
and so like there was just not a lot of mixture and like inter- interchange between the two cultures. I think Shogun is credited with kind of putting Japanese culture on the map for Americans in a way that it wasn't uh, after the Second World War. Um, and and so I think the Jap- Japanese moment happens, if not as a result, then like it's like this is the very beginning of it. I would yeah, say I think that. that's fair to say it's yeah. early in the year. It's early in the time. Right. Because we're still we're still in the mid 70s. Right. We're not in the era of like, you know, the Walkman just yet. Right. Well, when, when actually, when does the Walkman come out? The Walkman comes out. Um, I want to say that was the early 80s. In 1979 is when oh, it first okay. comes out. So we're like a little ways away from the emergence of this stuff. Like maybe we're dealing with Seiko watches, right? It, it, like It takes uh, maybe like uh, 15 years or so for um, many hibachi restaurants to be named Shogun. Yeah. <laughs> like that, was, yeah. that was definitely a thing growing yeah. up, right? Like the quote unquote fancy Japanese place you would go to get, um, uh, you know, fried rice cooked with butter right before your very eyes on a big griddle um, uh, that that place is definitely named Shogun. And yeah. um, you better believe it ate the crap out of that fried rice and enjoyed it. Uh, delicious. Delicious. It's, it's uh, so I, I want to read the reception. Um, I want to see, uh, read the reception chapter or section of the, the Wikipedia article for the, the novel um, that that kind of maybe uh, lends a little more depth to, to what we're talking about. In addition to becoming a bestseller with more than six million copies of the novel, I feel like if a novel today sells six copies, it's a New York Times, it's the number one New York Times bestseller. It's, uh, you know, six million copies of the novel in 14 hardcover and 38 paperback printings by 1980. Shogun uh, had great impact on Westerners' knowledge of an interest in Japanese history and culture. The editor of Learning from Shogun, Japanese History and Western Fantasy, 1980, estimated that 20 to 50% of all students in American college-level courses about Japan had read the novel. Uh, So that, like... um, so, So this became... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the American curriculum on what uh, on what Japan Japan was, um, and that like uh, yeah, it's a and and it's it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting because the the novel involves a European going to Japan, and so there's this literary device. There's this like this outsider device um, where you know, you get to explain things where you get to like, well, uh, you, without doing a lot of, as you know, Bob, you know, uh, th- and in the, in the second episode, I'm jumping into the TV show, but in the second episode, when, um, Blackthorn, the, the English navigator who comes on a, a Dutch, um, uh, you know, a ship, uh, to, that is wrecked off the coast of Japan. Um, when he is briefly imprisoned, uh, his fellow prisoner tells us, don't you know who the characters in this television show are? Why the first one is, and, and begins to like, uh, tell, uh, you know, tell the story of, of who everybody is. And we get like cutaways to, to those people, just in case you haven't, uh, figured out, you know, who Tornaga is or in his relationship to the, to the council or, uh, or anything anything like this. But whenever we uh whenever we start with a uh television show about a highly mannered um world world of um you know uh ironclad custom and uh repression and um you know uh, uh tradition it's important to compare it to the television show Downton Abbey and specifically to the phenomenon of the Downton Abbey moment which is uh, a seemingly uh, unrelated moment in in a uh, longer television plot where where the characters do something unrelated to the main action and talk about something unrelated to the main action but which is thematically tied in to the main action uh you know with with hoops of steel Pete Fenzel is is the great Downton Abbey momentor uh the um <laughs> you know the, the most momentous of us uh so pete do, do you have for the first episode second episode both together either however you want to do it do you uh, did you s- uh, settle on a downton abbey moment for the uh first couple episodes of shogun yeah sure so well for the first episode i felt like the downton abbey moment really screams at you which is it's when he goes falconing 
which is always a great scene, right? Yep. Something that would be fitting in Downton Abbey as well. Someone just, you know, going, doing some falconry. And he mentions how his bird is an effective hunter because the bird is able to hide and obscure itself against until it is sun. time to strike. Against, against the, the sun. sun. Yeah, he, he yeah. hides himself against the sun. Or is it she even? Was it, is it like a female? Yeah. And so, so. Uh, I I paused it, uh, you know, and my wife loves when I do this. Paused it and and said, <laughs> "Hey, wait for a female character who is not what she seems, who conceals herself against a sort of brilliance or light source, but the brilliance mm-hmm. obscures her true intentions. <laughs> wait for that to happen." And she yep. was like, "Oh, thank you for interrupting this compelling television show." <laughs> to give hey, at me- least you only you did it in the first ten minutes, right? So that was- <laughs> So the question is, as we're very briefly, yeah. like, this is exactly the type of show that will, like, ride that perfect balance between just, like, you know, clobbering you over the head with a reference, but also, like, kind of making it just, a, like, a little bit, um, you know, hidden there for you to find. So you feel clever. Kind of yeah. like, like, oh, yeah. the, like, the, like the mounted deer heads um, in that episode of The Crown, uh, which is <laughs> extremely on the nose, but also, like, you know, not over-explained in a good right. way. Right. And I think what they're really talking about, because, okay. So Shogun, right? There's kind of a couple of things going on. Uh, one of the things that's going on, and I think we should we should at least just briefly mention this, is that this is a fictionalized version of the to- the foundation of the Tokugawa sh- Shogunate, right? Tokugawa Shogunate, which, like, spoiler alert for Japan, he this guy is going to build a a uh, a, a government that's going to last for 250 years that is going to protect his country from colonization and like keep it unified and strong and like well into the modern era uh like like this is going to be the end of the warring states period he is it is called shogun because he's going to become the shogun right like that's what's going to happen right and and uh, obviously this is not the actual guy this is sort of like if there was a story about florge washington uh and fighting the bevolutionary war right like where it's like <laughs> his name a little bit. yeah and so like so like that's kind of like what's going on which i really appreciate it's got a certain james fenmore cooper kind of vibe to it where it's sort of like oh yeah this person never existed but this battle was sort of real right like and like that guy yeah whatever you know like you know we're not telling the story of the actual people we're telling the fun story uh of of stuff like this but yes yeah, so so the first big one is like this is the this is the hawk right that's going to wait for its time to strike and it's going to survive by kind of hiding. Um, so like one of the things that's happening is it's sort of telling you this historical story. I mean, I guess you could say that like maybe one way you could contrast the book and the show uh, would be that like the book is the story of the European who goes to Japan. And the show is the story of the Japanese guy, the Shogun, who like is introduced to the problem of Europeans. Mm. Right. And like, this is especially important in the second episode where it's like, Oh, he understands the problem of Europeans now. And he has to figure out how he's going to avoid, not just like win the, the statecraft war with his own people, but protect Japan from colonization. And that's like kind of, and he's going to do this by teaming up with a, with a total jackass uh, because he is this sort of like essential, he's the essential man. He's the indispensable man. The only person who can do this, the only person with the qualities of character and restraint. And so I guess that's one thing that's going on. But what I mean, there's multiple things going on. This is a like sphincter show, right? Like this is a show of like tension and release, tension and release, Right. Um, This is a show that is like, and I think part of why Shogun is stuck around is just like, supposedly it's just a good story, right? Like it's, it's like, yes, you know, there's all of the sort of, uh, you know, there's all the sort of like uh, cultural significance of the book and all that stuff, but it's like a political thriller uh, that functions as a political thriller. It reminded me a little bit of the diplomat in certain respects, but with the shamelessness of Game of Thrones, where it's just like, oh yeah, we're totally going to like show you like naked stuff. Uh, it's we're good. totally going to show you. Yeah, it's really good in the in the sense that like just the way that the story is structured, it a lot it actually allows to to us to bring up a, a concept from the TFT podcast um, called uh, from from uh, why well, I actually don't even know what discipline from political science or political philosophy I suppose um, more ethnographic uh, ethnographically oriented political philosophy um where in, in when you're dealing with a a um kind of a multi-dimensional uh identity system right where you you are a member of different non-completely overlapping groups 
right? Um, we call this, oh, there's a, there's a, a word for this. And I don't know why it's slipping my mind other than I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, this kind of multidimensionality of identity. So people are shouting it in their cars right now, commuting to work on it, Monday morning. Intersectionality. Intersectionality. Okay, yeah. In, okay. in an intersectional world, right. Where different identity systems intersect. I am, you know, I am a member of a, of a race, of an ethnic group. I am a member of a gender, of a religion. I'm a member of a local community. Uh, I, you know, I'm a member of certain interest groups within my local community and stuff like that. Um, and when I meet another person, you know, uh, it, it, is important to understand kind of what the battlefield is if there's going to be a conflict, right? Like it, it understand what is the, uh, the continuum, um, upon which our, uh, our interaction, you know, is going to, going to turn. And so the idea there, there's sort of many, uh, there are many sort of cleavages between you and another person whom with whom you're going to come into conflict, some sort of social conflict, right? And you have to determine the salient cleavage at any one right. one point. And that's this was this was our our you know fellow overthinker Ryan did did uh, political science field work in in. Uh, communities in Africa where the, the kind of your group, like what, what kind of family you're from or what religion you are, um, or, you know, like these things or whether you're male or female. And like when you meet another person on the road, you kind of have to figure out right quick what the relevant, um, kind of identity dimension that you're going to be, you're going to be talking about is. And, and so the, the, it's a, it's a thought technology. The idea of a salient cleavage is a thought technology for, for managing conflictual encounters between sort of intersectional identities. Um, because you got to sort of figure out what the, what the relevant, what the, the relevant dimension or what the salient cleavage is, is going to be. Like what, what is the cleavage being like ravine? Like what is the, the canyon on which you're, you're, um, you're on on opposite sides of is it man woman is it you know catholic protestant is it you know one religion or another is it racial is it you know what wh- whatever it can be and there there are so what you just go into this world and there are so many different kind of competing uh uh systems of association right and systems of 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 obligation loyalty that layer on top of one another and this is you know and it's it's just like you can tell it's going to be great kind of from from the very beginning because of this because you know that the the these different things will be like profound um in in terms of how they interact one is one is Japanese European, right? One is uh, Catholic Protestant or uh, Native Japanese religion. You know, one is um, uh, family, right? Uh, and the kind of the I I I feel like after two episodes, I haven't totally tracked all of the marriages, but but there are a couple of ones that are. Uh, that seem important. One is that seems like it's going to become very important. Uh, is is uh, man woman. Um, you know, between, uh, uh, what is, what is her call? Her, her Westernized name is Maria. Uh, but I forget her Japanese name. Um, uh, Mariko, uh, is the, you know, like, and, and, uh, her husband does not like that Toranaga is, you know, calling on her to do translating and stuff like that. He does not like that. She has like an official function. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is uh, d- displeased yeah. displeased yes. um right and that like that it just is a it is a rich it is a rich storytelling um it is a rich storytelling field that you can tell and i just like as as a counter example i point you to later seasons of the game of thrones television show where what started with a great deal of complexity like really seemed to to leach out uh of of the show in in successive seasons so that w- what what stuck you into it you know what made it interesting sort of uh sort of leach out leached out of the show until it was much more simplistic by the end. I I just like I'm excited that we are going into 
Uh, I'm excited that we're sort of going into a world where all of these complexities exist because it seems like fertile ground for storytelling. Yeah. One Downton Abbey moment for that concept, the sort of f- f- sort of dark Downton Abbey moment of this first episode that sort of gives you a bit of a mission statement for the entertainment yeah. that you're about to watch, sort of the pilot Downton Abbey moment is the great moment where you have uh, Kashigi uh, Yab- Yabushige, right, who is a great character, uh, at least so far, and a total jerk. Right. Uh, which is this is the this is the samurai who uh, wants to torture people to death yeah. because he wants to, like, hear their last words. Right. He wants to like he wants to glean the insight that you get from watching somebody confront death powerlessly. And so he, like, boils this man alive for like a day and a night in the hopes that he's going to have some sort of moment of clarity when the guy dies. And then, of course, the next morning in this sort of beautiful brunch that he's having, like staring out at the chirping birds and the and the uh, and the peaceful wilderness uh, around his, you know, around his home, his lavish home. And it's just like, nope, it was nothing. Right. And then, and then there was the great there's the great moment where uh, he, the courtesan has come to his house and has heard about his you know horrible violent penchant for doing this thing with with uh, dying men and then she goes to town not on him but on the other dude right uh and and there and there's this moment where you're like oh right he likes to watch mm. right <laughs> and it's like of course he likes to watch he likes to watch the dead guys he likes to watch men who are powerless right uh to see if there's some sort of moment of clarity in seeing a powerless man Oh yeah, this is like the sex and death dichotomy that is so key to so much of literature. And there's this just moment of recognition where the courtesan looks at the guy and he's like, "Okay, I get this, right?" And it, and and I think the message that one message you could read into that is like, there is more than one way that a man can be rendered helpless. Mm. There is more than one way in this story that you're going to be entertained and titillated, right? It's not just going to be about chopping people's heads off. There are other like, things that are going to happen, right? It's not just, oh, he likes to watch. It's also, oh, we <laughs> like to watch. Exactly, exactly. So it's I, like- I will say what, what could have improved this is if you had had a scene where um, – where uh two courtesans were going at it and then like like the the chief financial officer was standing there (laughs) (laughs) instructing them in uh, yeah yeah that that was was real quality quality television (laughs) (laughs) i just i just love this moment where it's like don't worry this is trash right like which is which is just i mean it isn't but, but it's like it has it's a it's a tv show that has a lot of care put into it and i think maybe the best meta casting uh, in this show, or like, the, there's really some very profound metacasting in this show that you have uh, Hiroyuki Sanada as uh, Toranaga, right? Who very clearly is imbuing this role with like a lot of importance, mm-hmm. and, and you could tell from his interviews that he thinks that this character is like very important because he's he's talking about the sort of disunity of the world in his interviews and a real lack of mature leadership that is sort of willing to sort of take on hard problems and solve them. Uh, and so, like, he sees this as a very sort of high, high-brow, high-class endeavor. And, and, and so, of course, when he's not around, it's like, yeah, but this is like a cable TV show, and, like, we kind of are going to do these other things, and we're just going to slip this to you to let you know in the pilot that, like, don't worry, we got you, right? Like, like this show is also trash, right? You can you can watch it for your moment of brief nudity that you come to expect from quality prestige cable television yeah, from 10 when, to 15 but years the, ago. When, the, when the, um. second, the second episode comes on, Pete, and, you know, there's a V uh, in the content warning, but no N, like, it's kind of like, yeah. what am I what am I even doing here? You know, why am I, why am I even watching, right. you know, why am I even watching this? It is a um, bit, of, it is a, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a bait and switch. The first episode just being that extra little bit salacious and that extra little bit hyper violent when the second episode is like just not as much of either of those things and is more political. Still very good and very interesting. It's like, oh, okay, they hooked us. They got us in the door. Right. Like, hey, this is a big fat book from the 70s. I'm sure there's a lot of time for people to do various, <laughs> various unsavory things to I each mean, other. That's- just to be clear, right. The promo imagery for this show has a dude riding a horse with the big katana blade and full on samurai warrior regalia. Right. So, like, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to see that. Right. That's not not going to happen. It's got to. And the, it's got to. Also notable absence of white pirate dude 
from the promotional material from the story, which is super important, right? It's like, this is the Shogun about the Shogun, and we're going to watch him Shogun yeah. all over the Shogunny place, <laughs> right? Like, he will be Shogunning. We are, we are like, we are double-barreled Shogunning here, all right? We are like, <laughs> this is an automatic, you know, like, dual-loaded 12-cartridge Shogun that we are going to fire at this television, uh, and he's going to be on with a katana on a horse. He's going to be kneeling down, looking sad a lot of the time talking about complicated political things it's going to be great yeah, right? no, yeah additional, additional context and, and background by that so i understand right that uh, what in the 80s um shogun was adapted to television as a, as a miniseries and everything you described pete was not the case right for the 80s the thing it was much more centered around the white character no surprise uh, even to the extent that, like i believe I, I i haven't seen this i read in the new york times that um dialogue between japanese characters they didn't even bother to subtitle it because it wasn't a <laughs> I laugh because of the tears are coming. Yes, that that does not surprise me at all. I did not know that, but it does not surprise me at all yeah. about the incompetence. And, and if, if I can bring in other television shows, if you kind of buttress like kind of the, the moment this is having here about the Japaneseness of it, right? Is um, pachinko is actually relevant to this whole um, this whole thrust here? Well, I mean, it's it's the broader you know prestige television kind of thing as well too, right? But like um, pachinko being um, the the my, my favorite novel perhaps of all time. Um, by a mm. Korean American author Min Jin Lee uh, about Koreans living in Japan and um, was an Apple TV adapted to television for Apple TV. Um, almost yeah, entire basically uh, like forty nine percent Japanese, forty nine percent Korean, and then the remaining two percent in English. Right, like this is like this fascinating moment where um, an ostensibly American production right can come out and basically say like, "Yep, this is it." You know, but you Asian can't... people speaking Asian language. Read the subtitles, bro. Like, you, you, you this is what we're doing. But like, I mean, the, if, yeah. you can't, you can't pay this much money and only exploit the property in one territory. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, also that. Yeah, that the like the 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 nature I think of how these things are getting produced means that they have to play. They have to play globally, and like you know, Japan's a. a big market for entertainment and like they, they have their own film industry. I don't, I don't think anything like I watch some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and like the, uh, uh, in some of the behind the scenes stuff, there are, there are some crew people who say like, yeah, the, the Japanese film industry couldn't afford to do anything like this ever. Like we need, <laughs> you know, like we need that American, we need that American money, but like also, you know, um, it's their, it's their sort of crew working on it, right? Like getting, getting funded in this, uh, in this particular way, in this, this big, uh, you know, this big multinational production. It reminds me some of like European films, you know, that like there are, there are Italian movies. If it's like after the war, I think there was there, there, uh, someone, someone with a better film studies background is going to, well, actually me in the comments, I, I, uh, confused Russian directors once several, uh, several episodes ago, several months ago and got taken to task in the, in the discord. So I, I apologize in advance, um, you know, to the more knowledgeable people who will have to come and clean up my mess here. But like, um, after, uh, after the war, uh, Italian, uh, cinema couldn't shoot with sync sound just like the the money wasn't there or the like the technical facility like the infrastructure wasn't there to do it so they shot everything mos and then like post dubbed it all um and this became the the norm in italian cinema so you would have productions like marquee productions with actors from different european countries each speaking their own language uh, and then just dubbed into the language of whatever market, um, you know, whatever market the, the movie was, was playing in at, at the time. And the, the, you just can't do that anymore, right? Like it, the, the, this level of sophistication in the consumer has gotten to a point where they won't accept, uh, a show, right? Where, uh, a show where, where that's, that's the case. And like, yeah. All, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like to, to that point as well, right? You know, the the article that I read um, about the production of this goes like the the ridiculous, painstaking lengths they went to, like, you know, do the research, make sure that um, you know the the historical authenticity was there, but also the, like the Japanese being spoken itself was like somewhat reflective, but not entirely reflective, 
what was being spoken at the time. Well, I'm sure it's like um, middle. I mean, it's the it's the period of like Shakespeare's English, right? Like, and I, I'm sure you know Shakespeare and Shakespeare and love, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't done in authentic Elizabethan English because early, you know, it's modern English. You can read it, but like, it's just like the the idioms, the the phraseology, like the whole you know stuff would be pretty unrecognizable to yeah. to people like you could no one yeah you could no one would it, believe right? it if everybody sounded like they were from west virginia nobody would believe it was actually england right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to add another dimension to this of course like oh man you know uh, as a nerd right i guess at, at least ancillary as a sort of ancillary nerdish or geekyish person uh you know what's one thing that people don't do is watch tv shows with japanese subtitles right like, <laughs> and in fact i wanted to point out with english subtitles, subtitles. Yeah. sorry japanese shows with english subtitles japanese shows with japanese subtitles in english no it's uh it's double it up right i want to watch my naruto in japanese with japanese subtitles to for like maximum weebology that is not Uh, have you i mean have you seen like uh a a lot of stuff that gets especially stuff that's kind of like quasi legally uh brought into into other markets sometimes they just put the subtitles on top of the subtitles right yeah i'm sure i'm sure you've seen this where there's like this kind of geologic layer of of two or three subtitles in like you know uh mandarin and then cantonese and then like english layered over that or something like that for a for a chinese uh, television it's called, show it's called, it's called exhibit stu- exhibit style uh, yeah. dogs i heard you like reading <laughs> subtitles i, I meant english subtitles on japanese uh, i mean i was talking about anime of course but also there was a study that came out in august that i had heard about recently that's pertinent to this that said that uh 59 and this is from y pulse uh who i've never heard of before and never will hear of again uh that 59 of gen z respondents watch tv with subtitles just as a matter of course and 50 52 of millennials do it as well and it's attributed oh. to yeah yeah 100 percent whole... of my parents also but... <laughs> even though the, the whole... volume is so yeah. loud it's so <laughs> loud the volume is so loud i can't hear myself thinking here also the subtitles are on Pete, yeah Pete, what is the reason what is the reason that this survey proffers or that you would proffer and then I'll, I'll give some potential uh others as well well the survey gives two reasons the first reason being that tiktok has subtitles so people are used to it and that subtitles in general are kind of a friendly thing when you're watching something on your phones but then of course if we go back to our podcasts about did we podcast about wonder woman 1984 i think we did or about space jam 2 uh i think one of the topics was terrible sound design that makes oh yes yeah yeah this is my thing yeah this this is absolutely a phenomenon yeah that's the sound design is so bad i mean if you're talking about tenet you're talking about a movie that's like been deliberately be made so that the language is hard to understand right at least is one of the rumors that i'd heard about it but like yeah that we live yeah, in an not, era I mean, of- that's a that's a creative choice like and that's a strong i think you got to yeah. give christopher nolan like that that's a strong creative choice he said in interviews like i'm not interested in making movies where the dialogue is comprehensible to you and whatever <laughs> whatever you think of that like wh- whether you respect that choice or not i do see how he gets there right like because his movies are about you know he's the IMAX guy right like his movies are about huge image about sensation about the kind of like overwhelming aspects of of cinema and that like you know part of that is like I was born in it you 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 merely you merely adopted the bad sound design I was born in it meanwhile it's like oh this is so loud I have to turn it down hold on Hugh Jackman is talking about the memory machine I gotta turn the volume all the way up like oh no it's another they're running in the water I gotta turn it down again (laughs) yeah god god yeah god forbid you you have like a sleeping child or or something like that but there's there's another reason that doesn't that i i think this this uh article really misses the thing like if you've watched a uh 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 gen alpha or a gen z person consume media right like multiple screens multiple devices like there's a bluetooth speaker playing music you know they're tiktoking on their phone there's something on the television like a thing playing with subtitles a television show and they're like playing a playing a video game on their pc or something like that right like there's this all this kind of multiple uh multiple stuff and the space like every sense the entire sensorium is is saturated with input and i find it so 
uh, overwhelming and so kind of like um, uh, uh, just 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 overloads my my ability to to take it in whenever I see the youngs you know enjoying their media as they as they do natively and it's uh it's so so hard but like the yeah I mean that but it is an interesting I mean it's an interesting kind of unintended cultural consequence that you might get over uh the one inch barrier right um of of sub, sub subtitles didn't didn't Bong Joon Ho say in his like Oscar acceptance speech or something like that? You you Americans have to get over the one inch yeah. the one inch fence. Yeah, this uh, like is in regard to, to parasite. Yeah, yeah, yeah the one inch wall yeah. of of subtitles in your uh in your your films. Um, and that's like it's a weird unintended consequence of this uh, Gen Z phenomenon that like uh more international. Uh, more international shows might, you know, might find audiences in the United States. All right. So we're talking about, you know, uh, cross-cultural exchange here, mm-hmm. right? Um, which, of course, is, uh, you know, one of many. Which we do, plot, plot, which plot we do every this, week from the this, bleeding edge oh, to the yes, trailing yes. edge, you know. That's, oh, oh yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yes. Thank you, Matt, for bringing your advanced technology, thought technologies <laughs> on a boat. Yes. So that us your, your Christianity and your Christian weapons. Yes, exactly. Actually, what's 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 awesome? The the show does. Sorry, Mark, you're about to say something, but but uh, briefly, the show does something. <laughs> the show does something awesome, which is show how much better at at the time throughout all the middle ages and like well into the modern period, like how much better Eastern cities were than Western cities. There was so, so uh, much, much cooler and more advanced about which it's, it's, it's sort of actually remarked on in, in the show. But Mark, I'm sorry. What were you about to say? No, I was uh, trying to see like, you know, we started to touch upon this a little bit, right. With the, um, the main Japanese actor um, about how, you know, he sees this, uh, you know, this, this uh, has these big ideas about the moment and, and this role and things like that. Right. Um, so uh, kind of my question here is like, why Shogun now? Are we to read anything into this particular story of a white dude, uh, you know, uh, integrating himself into Japanese society and bringing weapons um, in uh, and, and kind of stirring the pot in that way? But also Japan also pushing out uh, and defending against foreign influence. Is there anything there? Yeah, I think a couple things. Yep. I think I think that well, you I, we I, we have not watched enough of this show yet to know how ultimately militarism is going to be depicted as a positive or a negative influence. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the ongoing controversy with whether Japan should be more militaristic in the world. Um, militaristic, maybe not the right word for it, but you know what I'm talking about. Less pacifist, you know? maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Less more mi- militarily pacifist, yeah. involved, right? Um, you know, and I guess that might be part of it, but yeah, I do think the big thing is just the, the vogue of anti-colonialism, right? Like it's, it's people are into the idea of anti-colonialism now it's like fashionable, right? Um, and by anti, I mean like flip the script, right? Like tell the story the other way. Um, I think, I think that that's like, uh, I think that that is a reason to redo this. I think, I think this show in that respect feels a little bit similar to like the foundation show Mm. or the wheel of time show, which are shows that are to an extent about refuting their source material, like sort of undermining the key proposition of their source material in a modern way with love. Right. So like, if the idea of the foundation, I mean, I haven't watched the second season of the foundation show yet, but the big part of the idea of the first season of the foundation show is that if you like the foundation book and you watch the show, there's a whole bunch of times in which the show directly comments on how the ideas in the book are stupid and directly confounds your expectations for the ideas in the book. Uh, you know, most notably by like recasting a lot of the characters, uh, not recasting, but really like recasting in the sense of redepicting them as like women of color, right? And like uh, talking about kind of the arrogance of the scientists, right? Which is really not uh, a theme of the original book, right? The, the scientists are not arrogant. They're merely very smart, right? And appropriately so, because they are scientists. So that is what scientists are supposed to be like as 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 these white dudes who are, you know, talk to each other in their spare time. Um, and there's like a bunch of stuff about like, empire in that stuff and, and and i think there's just there's an ongoing dialogue in the show between the source material what the source material is saying 
and also like what we would want to see concerning the source material and sort of what sort of adaptation you as an audience member have to make to still like the source material at this point. Right. Because the source material is very dated because it's about cult, it's about political things that aren't happening anymore. Right. Like it's about like changes in culture, big changes in culture. And when I say political things that aren't happening anymore with regards to foundation, I'm talking about like it's a novel. It's like a, you know, it's a short series of, of vignettes framed as a novel written during like the Second World War about like rationality versus you know, nationalist imperialism in a way that was very much of its moment. Uh, you know, like it's not the same kind of conflict anymore. It's different. Um and yeah, and then I think similarly, uh, Shogun to me feels like that you don't need you don't need Shogun anymore to discover Japan. You don't need Shogun anymore to like find out what Japan is like. You could go there. You could watch any number of Japanese television shows that are currently available to you. You know, many of which are fine and animated and have people dressing up as their characters in your city right now. Right. Like it's, <laughs> you have options. I mean, that's that's diminishing it, I guess. But, I, you know, it's it's done with love, of course. You have a lot of options, but it's more like the touch point, like the mo that moment of interrogation can itself be interrogated. We can look at that idea of like, we discovered these people and they're so cool. Jordan said this to me once. Uh, I think this was when we were talking about Isle of Dogs. Mm -hmm. We were talking about like whether Isle of Dogs was um, appropriationist or not, right? Uh, and, and I think that there was the idea that like people in Japan weren't bothered by it, but people outside of Japan were more bothered by it. And the idea being that there's a certain confidence that like Jordan had told me, because of course, you know, he's you know mar married and, and travels there a lot and stuff. Uh, and it's like Japanese people know samurais are cool. It's not a surprise to them. You know, right. like like it's like like that's kind of like the insight. Right. Is that like, of course, everybody wants to tell the stories of the samurai. The samurai are awesome. Right. Like like, you know, the Shogun is an awesome guy. Right. The story of the Shogun is awesome. Of course, you want to tell it. There's no measure of like diminishment that takes place with regards to the story of the samurai by the westerners like enthusiasm for it in and of itself uh and so it's sort of like watching that point that touch point and recasting that touch point from the position of strength which is represented in the story right like blackthorn is not in the strong position the the like the pirate is not like on one level, it's like, okay, you have to bring Luke Skywalker along or else all the weird characters aren't going to make any sense. And this is a story for white men and our Luke Skywalker is a white man. And that's kind of like the era we're in and what we're doing, right? But like on the other hand, this is kind of like a big honkin' romance novel with a with a pirate in it, right? Like it's it's like <laughs> – like, like I, was, I was telling this – I was trying to explain this to, to my wife and I was saying like, you know, the story does kind of feel like a big old romance novel – because except it's like, well, if you're a dad, what do you want your romance novel? And if the answer is 600 pages of Japanese history, yes. Right? <laughs> like I want to I want to take a break in the middle of my romance novel and I want to watch the History Channel the way it used to be for like four that. straight hours. We're right? going like, to we're going to need to we're going to need to <laughs> put out another poll. Right. Yeah. That is uh, uh, for men. Men. How often do you think of the Tokugawa shogunate? <laughs> You know, yes. How, how many times a day do you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do, do but, you think? Of and I also, I also just think that sexy pirates have been having a moment, <laughs> and I and I think that it's important. I mean, Outlander has sort of this vibe, like 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 romance novel male, you know, not even protagonists, love interests, right? And it it feels to me like Blackthorn is kind of being cast in this movie as the sort of Outlanderish character, as the sort of like. Like, okay, the main guy is Toronaga. This is his story of his problem. But there's also going to be a romance plot here where there's a sexy pirate in it for some reason, right? And it's like, all right, fair enough. You know, like, like there's going to be a pirate uh, and it's going to be in the story. And obviously that's not exactly what's going to happen. But it's like, that's kind of the vibe I'm catching rather than it being like, he's the everyman. He's the one who represents us, you know, the audience, right? Like we sympathize more with Tornaga. Not with Blackthorn. Right. Blackthorn's a lunatic, right? Like Blackthorn is right. like, you know, an, a, an, an exotic, strange creature, right? Like, uh, I'm sorry, I, I've gone off. Tornaga Tor is middle management and kind of really struggling with managing up and managing down. Yeah, he really navigating, I mean, yeah. navigating power politics in, in the workplace. And he knows that he needs to have like he doesn't have the job. He's dressing for the job he wants. 
which is by getting on the sword on the horse with the katana and the poster. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're like, you know, this guy is the guy who should be promoted, but that he's not being promoted. And you come and you, you sympathize with that. You know, we all had situations where, you know, all of a sudden your boss converts to Catholicism and is given all this power and, and weaponry by uh, the people. And it just doesn't feel fair, right? Like, <laughs> I think I think that one of the strengths one of the strengths of this though is that w- wisely um the kind of the flip the script telling I sorry let me let me back up and say this another way I think you can fall prey to to a a particular kind of like um uh good intentions trap when you know when you tell an anti-colonial story from the anti-colonial perspective of the colonial power that is to say you know yeah. all right let me let me tell you you know let me tell you the revisionist story about how america was conquered rather than listening to the to the you know the actual people who you know might have been more affected by it right like i think that there's there and and there's a way to kind of like to to rhetorically enfeeble right or to kind of narratively enfeeble the people you're talking about in the name of lionizing them. Uh, and this really avoids that, I think, by uh, by hiring uh, uh, Japanese actors, Japanese crew, you know, it's uh, uh, Japanese writers, Japanese producers. Japanese producer. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. Right, that, that it really seems that that actually, like, rather than... You know, rather than rather than being like, okay, we need to like undo the wrongs of the previous story, like by just kind of putting a negative sign in front of everything. It's sort of like, well, no, there there were people, <laughs> there there were people uh, there in Japan. Believe it or not, a whole civilization <laughs> like there, and they had points of views on everything. And so let's just like you know center what those points of views are, rather rather than you know try to undo. Uh, uh, I don't know, rather than than try to kind of simplistically undo. Do, you know what you assume are the colonial biases the the kind of orientalist biases of the the um uh of the the uh, earlier telling of of this kind of story i, I thought a lot a, sorry good you know this is what I've got something you mentioned pete briefly like um i'm not sure who you're referring to in terms of the japanese creator producer but like uh, um one of the driving forces behind this is actually a japanese american woman yeah um yeah, and true. again like and and but like fast and fascinating um you know, quote that she had is basically like, you know, I thought I'd be like kind of bringing, you know, some Japanese perspective to this, but turns out I'm Japanese American. That's a very different thing from being Japanese. <laughs> That's good and like, you know, she's kind of just like this kind of this extra other layer of uh, alienation that um, I shall just say is very familiar to Asian Americans who travel back to Asia and try to like, you know, um, square the circle of their own identity. So I'm yeah. uh, sorry, but that that is like just yet another like, uh, you know, Fascinating detail uh, for the cross-cultural exchange that's present. Is, I mean, that's a, yeah. Yeah. Ra- Ra- her name is uh, uh, Rachel Kondo. Uh, so the you know yeah the the and she's interviewed in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like you can click over to the other tabs on Hulu. It's actually pretty good. Some of the like a lot of the promo materials for TV shows like this are are terrible, but it's actually pretty good because like I don't know some of the some of the detail like the detail of the fights and like how the uh, some of the the architecture was reconstructed and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm I'm a big big nerd for for that kind of thing. But yeah, it's uh and and so she she was the on the two episodes we watched was a co-writer. I mean, a TV creator creator I think or executive producer, right? And the um uh and co-writer I think of the of the the first two episodes. Yeah. The um another thing I would want to add is it this made me think of the Norman Lear podcast we did and all mm-hmm. the prep work we did for the Norman Lear podcast where it became apparent that no amount of good intention was going to uh, make those various Norman Lear shows that featured black people, you know, uh, Latin people, whatever, right? Not whatever, but like the very because he had a whole bunch of different shows uh, with, you know, like the 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 divorced woman, right? Like all these all these like white men writing all of these people that were these kind of under underrepresented on TV, you know, minorities. And like no amount of perspective was going to make them not make it terrible at times. The only thing that made it not terrible was when the actors and writers who knew the reality were there to tell them when they were being stupid. Right. Like so like 
it is not controversial to say that, say, like Good Times is a much beloved show among African-Americans, generally speaking. It is also not controversial to say that the cast of Good Times was pissed off on many occasions by the way that they were treated or 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 caused forced to talk by the writers or and also that the several of the black writers at Good Times had big problems with the producers. John, but the John point- Amos left. John Amos left the show. You know, like, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. that's a yeah, it's a sign of it right there. Yeah. So it's like so with Shogun, right? Like, obviously, this is happening on a different a different dimension because like every so many of the people working on the show are in a not only have the knowledge and perspective, but the position to be like, no, we are not going to do that. That would be stupid. Right. Like, like I cannot imagine somebody like throwing a fast one by Hiroyuki Sonata. Right. Where it's, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you have to say like, oh, my honor, you know, in this like very intense, you know, Japanese way, like make it more Japanese. No, you're not gonna, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you're not going to be able to throw it by this guy. You know, like you're not going to be able to get it past. Like, and I think that might be part of because I hadn't even thought of this. And thank you, Mark, for bringing it up. Like. That this is all this this show might also be part of that Asian American looking backward at Asia moment, where like this is sort of like Riverdance, right? This is like for for <laughs> Irish people, where it's like oh I will watch all these things that are about my own like my own historical uh, my historical legacy, uh, my my like uh, my heritage, right? I want to watch. Why, my so heritage. Pete, you only you only use Kerrygold butter, I know. You yeah, I know exactly. Mm. And I'm saying this is better than that because they get they don't get Michael Flatley to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Not against, nothing against the Lord of the Dance. We have himself. only seen we have only seen two episodes, Pete. Like there's a there's a lot we of don't know this guys. Is guys, you know what's delicious? <laughs> what? Fried rice cooked with Kerrygold butter. Oh man, that's just oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, no, none of those mackerel snappers <laughs> are allowed near my fried rice, right? Like, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, I did see a billboard for. Celtic woman the other day on the highway and and it made me chuckle. Wait, so just, I, the, I didn't... just the concept in general of <laughs> <laughs> Are you not familiar with Celtic woman? No sir, I am not. It is a live show you can go watch where they like which is like it is like the vaguest Is it at a strip club? What I mean, no, what is, is this that, like, thing? in your what? local major performing arts center. Uh it's an Irish all female singing group. Uh, oh, okay. They're a musical group, and they sing like they sing the the like Christmas specials and real real Celtic music, uh, and it's sort of like for people who feel kind of stripped and severed from their heritage and are looking for something, anything to feel connected to things that existed before them or after, right? And so, it, I mean, I, that, and also it's like we all, I mean, it's it's a it's an identifiable feeling, I would assume, right? That it's like I have I I have my family has assimilated into this culture, right? And like this Celtic woman just feels like the most ridiculous uh example of this sort of thing just just the fact that it's called celtic woman right it's just like and they wear big long dresses and and uh it's 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 uh the shogun is not that this is what Um, i mean this is the the thing man like when i came from los angeles to the east coast where you know where you live um and the people like you uh out there on the east coast right like i was so i was flummoxed really because we don't i mean just, we don't have ethnic white people you know in the same way that, <laughs> in the same way that you that you have ethnic white people that is to say the salient cleavages are very different um right, and right, right. you know like the idea that that you know in in this one city in new haven like there were uh, there was the, the Polish Catholic Church, the Italian Catholic Church, the Irish Catholic Church. They all had different, uh, parades, you know, yep. they all had different, yep. like, and, and that they were kind of quietly at war the, yeah. the, the whole See, the time. The Pope like, divided it up. They drew lines around. By the way, Mark, one of the best scenes in the second episode of Shogun is when they explain the lines, like the lines of demarcation. Uh, that are in the the Spanish Portuguese uh, treaty with the Pope uh, over uh, the sort of division of the world uh, between the Spanish and Portuguese empires. Um, it's a great scene. It's an absolute great scene. Uh, I mean, Mar- Matt, did you agree that it was a great scene? Yeah, absolutely, hundred uh, yeah. percent. Because it's like it's basically like Toranaga has no clue about any of this stuff, 
And and no, so none of, I mean none of them do. It's in it's yeah. interesting, but it's I, they've been but kept in the dark deliberately. Like, but the he's also are not telling them about. Also, it. he's yeah. no idiot, right? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. And the 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 idea that he is going to bring uh, Mariko there to kind of verify the translation of yeah. the Jesuit friar, right? Like uh, that, you know, the savvy political move, like the, he, he does sort of understand the, the kind of different people and their different, different motivations and sort of shifting alliances and things like this. Yeah. But this is just a, a piece of information that's been deliberately concealed by yeah. the, the council of what are they regents or something like that. You know, they're a council of regents meant to, to, to rule in this kind of regency government until the Tycho's son comes, comes of age. So the, um, yeah, uh, the he's it's super interesting, and like he ends up drawing a a, a map. Well, I'm sorry, you you go you go watch it, but he there's yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a map is a map is a map is drawn. Um, as, as we close, I wanna I wanna kind of like um bring up I guess one last theme from the from the show because I feel like we've been we've been talking a lot about about you know different identities about different you know different um. You know, continua uh, across which one's one's loyalties are distributed. Um, you know, orthogonal or skew criteria uh, that that seem to conflict with, with where one's obligations seem to to conflict with with one another. And the show itself provides a thought technology for kind of addressing this. And I feel like maybe as we close, we can sort of. Uh, we can we can sort of ad- address this, and it's told by um, when when Blackthorn is briefly in jail. Uh, he meets a, a friar who is supposed to be a Franciscan, uh, so not one of the Jesuits, right? So even even among the Catholics, <laughs> even among the the right. you know the the Spanish and, and Portuguese, like you can be in different orders, uh, different religious orders. So he's he's a Franciscan. He's in jail uh, because he what you know defied the the Jesuits and their their rapacious uh, greed and. Um, he uh, says uh, he kind of repeats to Blackthorn a maxim, or at least what he understands is a maxim that uh, that every man is, has three hearts, um, and uh, the the heart that's in his mouth for the world to see, the heart that is in his chest for his friends, and then like the secret heart that you know uh, that nobody else nobody else knows, and like the, this idea, and and um, uh, Mariko says. Uh, to uh, Trakawa, the the um, uh, I have more than one heart. When when she's asked, you know, can is it okay? This this uh, Protestant pirate, right? Blackthorn is um, you know, offensive to your religion. She's a convert to Catholicism. Like, it, is it okay? And she says, I have more than I have more than one heart. And this is, you know, this is an interesting. This is a really interesting. Th- Thing, right, this is really interesting idea, uh, and I think what account accounts for I, a lot of the promise that I, you know, you can tell that I'm excited about like watching the rest of the show, like the the promise that I feel, you know, for the for the storytelling because it it allows for sort of richer characters, you know. Um, I I think if you look at even a lot of like very high priced television, let, let's compare this to another uh, really high priced streaming show. Uh, how about The Night Agent? Right? <laughs> oh, we're going to keep pooping on the night agent for years. Oh God. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, there, it, there's a second season. I can't wait to do an episode on the second season and poop on the second season of the night. Agent. In, <laughs> oh, in, man. in the, the night agent is a, is a spy thriller. And so it's, you know, about um, shifting loyalties and like not, not knowing kind of where you stand and, and uh, you know, the kind of the, the different dimensions upon which loyalty can be distributed and how those, how those might can conflict, including loyalty to one's self and, and one's character. But um, you know, that's uh that's what that is. And all the characters in the night agent are exactly one thing. And they are that thing all the time. And they just, they just, they, they, uh, God, what was the thing that Pete said for, uh, very early in the podcast in like the first 20 episodes? Uh, humping that piano key. They're all just <laughs> humping that piano key over and over and over. And I mean, you know, of course, that's not how people are. And in, in good narratives, that's not how, how characters are, are created. And the, the idea that like, um, you know, the idea that there is a thought technology built into this show uh, about 
how people, uh, not even why, but how people are are different and contradictory, I would say bodes well for uh, what we're about to see in in upcoming weeks, you know? Yeah, plus, I mean, there's going to be a sword fight with a guy on a horse. No, <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, let's leave our conversation there. Uh, if you uh, if you like Shogun, um, well, if you didn't like Shogun, then then don't do anything. But if you like Shogun, come talk to us. <laughs> talk to us about it. No, I, we're interested in your opinion as well. Uh, if you didn't like Shogun, commit seppuku. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With with your entire family, wipe out the male line of your. Uh, of your whole family. We're going to um, do uh, we're we're uh, we're on the discord. So uh, email me podcast overthinking com. I'll send you a link to, to join the discord and you can join the conversation that uh, that goes, that goes on in there. If you, if you are a dad or not a dad, if you are a dad adjacent <laughs> and you want, you know, six hours of the history channel between, between your, uh, your historical epics and, and romance novels, then, uh, you know, then that's, uh, then that's what we'll, that's what we'll talk about. All right. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks Pete and Mark for, uh, podcasting and watching, uh, watching the show. And, uh, we'll be back next week with more overthinking and podcasts until then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. deserve.